Hey, everyone. Welcome to Superwomen. I am so excited for my guest today. Even though I don't see her all the time, I consider her a friend who lives far, far away from me. Today's guest is Mandana Dayani, the founder of I Am A Voter and also Incredible Woman. Hi. Hi. I'm so happy to speak with you. I know. I'm excited to dive into I Am A Voter, what made you start it, but I want to go back to your experiences that sort of led you to this current journey that you're on. Yeah, that sounds great. So what did you think you wanted to be and then what did you become? (laughs) You know, I grew up in a very traditional immigrant family. So I, you know, my parents raised us to want to be lawyers and doctors. My brother you know, became a surgeon. I never wanted to do that. So I always knew that I was probably going to pursue a career in law, but I think I thought I was going to do it because I was always much more interested in politics. Um, I really wanted to be a senator. That was probably the first career I remember wanting to have, although I don't think I really knew what it meant. It just seemed so cool. And then I don't know, you know, I spent a lot of my life trying to be, you know, the perfect kid, the perfect immigrant, the role model, get into good schools. There's this funny thing you do when you're an immigrant. I, I've noticed this like really has been a lot of self-reflection over the last couple of years. And it's a lot of this kind of fake it till you make it um, just to assimilate. And it's very strange when you actually reconcile who you are with who you were trying to be. And I don't think that really happened until the last few years. So clearly being an immigrant shaped your life. How old were you when you came here? I was born in Tehran in Iran. We left when I was almost six years old and we went to Italy for about, I don't even know, like a year until we were granted refugee asylum in the States through an organization called Hyas. Um, so then we came to New York, but you know, you're, you're really arriving. Like we didn't speak English. We didn't know where we were going to live. We didn't know what we were going to do. We had no money. It's a very strange and very formative, I think, experience. And, and on one hand, I think it like really taught us this like hustle and how to kind of make things work and how to create you know, what you want and made us so much closer as a family, you know, like we kind of just knew that if we had each other and we could rely on each other, that we would be okay. But there's this like very immense sense of gratitude too. I think that comes from an experience like that, which is, I was always so grateful to be here. I was so grateful because it, you know, it doesn't, there's no logic to like why you get to come and someone else doesn't come. So I I think I was so aware of how amazing of an opportunity it was to be here. And I think I was so focused on not fucking it up um, and not letting my parents down who gave up like all of their dreams and ambitions to come here. You know, my dad came here and worked as like, you know, a shoe salesman, I think making $4 and 15 cents an hour, something, you know, it it was very hard at the beginning. You know, it's funny, whenever I hear these stories, I sort of go, what was I complaining about having to move from San Diego to Florida? You know, like that was was the devastation of my childhood. And and my father and I were talking today and like, he's like, you know, your great grandfather was put on a boat from Belarus, Russia with no money and was dropped off in Sheboygan, Wisconsin with no, not knowing anyone and like, bye, we hope you survive. And it's like, and here I am complaining, like you ruined my childhood, mom and dad. (laughs) (laughs) So I I love hearing these stories because it puts, you know, what you're experiencing in true perspective. Yes. I also just think that like, 
whatever your experience is, is your experience. You know what I mean? Like to whatever you're going through seems like the biggest thing in the entire world when you're a kid, because we left so abruptly, you know, like, I don't think I have one baby photo of myself. You know, we didn't take anything. We just kind of left, but I think I had a very hard time my whole life attaching to things because I never believed that they were going to be there for a long period of time. Yeah. I could see that. Which was very strange. You wanted to be a senator. You took a little bit of a side curve, <laughs> but you're you're clearly now um, doing, mu- you're, you're much more efficient and effective, I'd say, than any senator I know. Thank you. Not that I know them well. So <laughs> talk to me about your time running, you know, a global company as a CEO, and then how you left the glitz, the glamour, the drama of, you know, running Rachel Zoe's company to then launching something that is so civic-minded and so the polar opposite, it seems, of what you were doing. Yeah, I had a very strange career path. So I I did end up practicing law. I worked um, for two years at a big law firm. And then I realized that I don't want to do this with my life. And it was like a true, you know, existential crisis because I was, I didn't know anything else. I never really thought about anything else. I didn't really know what anyone did. You know, that was part of the biggest struggle was like, I didn't even know how to figure out what I wanted to do because I had never really paid attention to any other jobs. And I didn't really have any like family members who could model that for me. You know, nobody in my family was an editor or an architect, you know, everyone kind of did the same thing. And so it took me a couple of months of just taking meetings and meetings and meetings and trying to figure out what my interests were. And I really knew that I loved to build brands. I did a lot of licensing as an attorney and really helped build corporate structures. And that was really interesting to me. And I think I had, I can't even, I had 30 different coffees or lunches of just picking people's brains. And I sat across the table from this guy who was um, a commercial agent. So, which means he, you know, he does all the big endorsement deals and brand deals for talent. And I thought that was the coolest job I'd ever heard of. And so I kind of forced him to let me come work for him. And I showed up at his office that Monday did not have the job, but just was like, I'm coming. I want to see what you do. And figured out a way to just make myself invaluable. And Rachel Zoe was one of his clients. So we started working with her. And then she had the big show on Bravo. And I was working on the licensing deal for her collection. And that took about like six months. And then she looked at me and was like, so do you want to come help me launch this collection? I was like, of course. I mean, that was a dream. I loved fashion. But to me, fashion was a hobby. You know, like I was raised that, you know, that's not something you do. That's just something you love. And I literally had no idea what I was doing. But I also knew that there wasn't anything that I couldn't just figure out. But it happened so fast. I mean, by the, I, I went over to work in-house with her. Like, I think a week later, I was on a plane. We were to New York and we were meeting with, you know, all of the different licensors, hiring designers, putting teams together, you know, building a brand book, which I'd never done before. I mean, it was just so much happened so quickly. And so I was there about six years, you know, when we launched the Zoe Report and the Box of Style and all of those things. And it was amazing. And I learned so much, you know, between the book and the shows and all of that stuff. And then I went to go kind of help relaunch and brand this tech company. And I was there for two years before I quit my job to start I'm a Voter. (laughs) So I've worked in a lot of different fields. In a weird way, I think all of those things really prepared me for I'm a Voter because I built... I think the relationships I needed to make I'm a Voter possible, particularly with like the incredible founding team of the 25 women who work on the campaign every day, but also just to really understand like consumers all across the country from all different types of segments. 
So what would you say the biggest learnings from your corporate experience that you could funnel into I Am A Voter? Because lots of people have dreams of launching nonprofits and making impact. And I just remember seeing it and overnight, I was like, oh shit, this girl. Well, first of all, thank you because you were one of the first people to support and that I don't, it's hard to articulate how much that meant. And so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, you know, I had my, I had my second daughter. Miller and I was home. And I think when you have a child, it kind of forces you to have this natural pause and think about your life and reflect on what you were doing. And at that same time, the child separation policy went into effect. And I will never forget just sitting on the couch. I was nursing and I saw these kids on the floor with aluminum blankets on them. And like the entire world stopped. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And you know, before then I had really decided I I wanted to get back into politics. I wanted to figure out a way to contribute. And I had had so many different meetings with different people about how I could contribute. And every single time I, you know, I think I sat down with 20 different senators or congressmen asking them, like, how can we help you with this? Like, I have access to all of these amazing things. Like, what do you need? And they all said the same thing, which was like, if you really want to see long-term systemic change, we need higher voter turnout. And I was like, what are you talking about? Who's not voting? Like, I, I really just didn't know. And I started looking at the data and, you know, I saw 100 million eligible voters didn't vote in the last election. And that blew my mind because, and I think you know this, it's like when you work in these consumer spaces, you're like, wait, we can sell people, you know, six different mascaras a year and make them think it's going to change their lives. Like, how can we not make voting appear as sexy as it is? And that was kind of that brand exploration of like, okay, how are we explaining this to people? How do we make this really exciting and really aspirational? And I think when I had seen this against the backdrop of what was happening at the border, you know, as a refugee, it's so scary coming to America. And you know, you obviously don't leave your country unless something horrible is happening to you and the people around you. And when you, you know, even for us, like when we came to, to New York, it was the scariest thing I'd ever experienced. It's this really foreign city, all these bright lights. I don't know anybody. I don't speak the language. And I just remember holding my mom's hand and being like, okay, it's going to be okay. I have my mom. And to think that these other families have gone through these insanely traumatic journeys for months and they arrive here because they think like America is this beacon of hope. And we literally take their children out of their hands. We lost some of these kids. And that to me, even as a mother, right? Like when you don't know where your kid is for five seconds at the grocery store, you can't breathe. The, this idea that we were doing this to people as a country, to the most vulnerable people in the world was just un- intolerable. And I sent an email to a bunch of women I have worked with and all of my different careers that I just really admire and was like, can we figure this out together? Like, let's, can we build a really meaningful campaign? Um, and we all met that Sunday and we really just started thinking about civic engagement almost as a client, you know, really from a marketing lens. Um, and we knew we wanted to be nonpartisan. And a couple months later, CAA joined as a founding team, which is where one of our other co-founders, Natalie Tran comes from. And, you know, it was really just bringing together a lot of the infrastructure they had built around bringing different companies together. And then all of these incredible women and all of their relationships. And it was just this amazing look table where we all sat and was like, what do you, what does everyone have to give? And let's just throw it into the pot. And, you know, I think the the creative felt fresh and interesting and new and, and our other co-founder, Tiffany Bensley is just like a creative genius. And I, I think it was 
just like a, a new time. It was a new way to talk about something that we weren't really talking enough about. So I don't want to take this too off topic, but I sometimes can empathize and sympathize. I was an apathetic voter. And then I felt like, all right, if we can all get shocked by, you know, like I thought the system was rigged. Totally. <laughs> I thought it didn't matter. And then I saw what could happen um, of someone getting elected that no one ever saw coming. And then I was like, oh, voting actually works and it does matter. But then you see things like there's still a crisis at the border. There are still children being separated. Like one presidential candidate hasn't made significant change in that the crisis is going on even now. And so how do you tell people, stay active, it can change, it might not change over a presidential term, but it'll change over time? So a couple things, you know, the child separation policy was specifically created under the Trump administration and stopped. So we're no longer like intentionally removing kids from their parents. We also have like the highest surge we've had, I mean, in decades at the border now. And I think it is an absolute crisis in figuring out how to handle it um, and what to do. But it is a very different policy. It's still broken and needs to be fixed, but it, it is less intentionally hurtful. I think that you felt that way because I felt that way and everyone else felt that way because I think as a country, we don't make a priority to teach people about civics. Like we don't make it a priority to teach it in all the schools. People don't know how our government works and they don't know how to hold it accountable. I also think people are for the most part impatient, right? Like people want change immediately and that's just not how change works, right? Like all lasting change that we have experienced in our country happened over an extended period of time. And it requires people showing up. And, you know, like, e even when you think of the things like women's suffrage and marriage equality, environment protection, the minimum wage, like all of those things started at a local level, people advocating slowly and slowly in each state, and then the, it created this groundswell for the, for the federal government to act. But it required, again, like, just so much work. Um, and so much activism amongst people for a very long period of time. I also think part of our system is broken. And it's hard because, you know, even when I talk to students, it's hard, you know, like 90% of our country, I think at this point wants background checks, and we're still not sure that we can get it passed. That, that is a broken system. If 90% of our country wants something, and it's like an actual threat to our sa safety every single day, and we can't get it done. And so that just means we need more people to run for office. We need more accountability in local governments. You know, we need more people to vote. I mean, the local government is where a lot of these protections are going to come anyways. And we just like the voter turnout on the local election is just abysmal. So what do you think, you know, people can blame dad or their uncle in office, however you consider him. Yeah. But I, I do agree with you saying it starts locally. So how can people get more active civically and affect change in their local community, their town, their city? Because again, people go, well, I voted. Now I did my duty. But it, it really doesn't. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Well, it is a civic responsibility that never goes away. So it's just, it's building this mindset that this is a part of your life forever. And it's not just you, it's, it's like your five friends and your neighbors and your parents, right? Like you also are responsible to some extent for making sure that your community shows up. And I think that's one of the, the things that became very apparent during COVID, right? Which is this idea that we are all interconnected and our collective well being is dependent on each other, right? You can't just 
you know, the health of someone else affects your health, right? It's not someone's access to something affects your safety and understanding how connected we are and how much it is. Like, even if an issue doesn't affect you, you have to show up for the person that it affects. And so you might think your life is great and dandy and fine, but there's a lot of people who don't feel that way. And so you do have a responsibility to show up. And I think, I mean, the baseline, so we have a text platform that we made at I'm a voter. Um, so if you text the word voter to 26797, you'll get a reminder for every local state and federal election. You know, it'll tell you where to vote, your polling location, what you need to bring with you, all the most important information that you need. I think that's the basic first step. Um, I think it's making sure that your friends are registered to vote. And it's having those conversations. Like we would encourage people like drop into a Slack group and like text or, you know, when you're on the text with your family chain, ask them if they're voting. You know, a reminder from people is so effective. Um, and it really does build the sense of social pressure, which is important. I love that I Am A Voter is hopefully making it more exciting and as cool as, you know, going to a Marvel movie <laughs> to make a plan to vote. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So I would love to hear like some of the headway you've made in getting people registered and, and some of the change you've already been able to see since you started I Am A Voter. You know, I think one of the things that was really helpful was us kind of leaning into our partnerships. And I think that just came from the natural strength of the incredible women who work on this campaign. I think for a long time, brands and companies were very afraid to get involved. And by kind of showing them that not only is it totally okay, but that it is ultimately what their customers want from them, you know, that, God, I'm trying to remember the statistic, which is amazing. It's like something like 80% of, you know, millennials said that they would want to, they'd prefer to buy a product from a brand that advocated for an issue that they care about. It was kind of showing them the research and giving them the courage and, you know, showing up with a 
brand that was completely nonpartisan so that they could kind of take that step and activate their customers and help reach people in ways that we weren't necessarily reaching them. You know, I think when the NBA became an official partner of ours in the NFL, like those were historic franchises that we hadn't really seen get involved in this space. And so having these amazing athletes come out and say like, hey, you know, I'm a basketball player, I'm a father, I'm, you know, I'm this, I'm this, and I'm a voter as a critical part of their self-identity. I do think we changed the cultural perspective of voting. I think that that was a huge goal for us, at least in that election, was obviously to increase voter registration, which, you know, we did. And we helped create some really interesting and memorable campaigns. We did a lot to try to create information that was really accessible, really easy to understand um, and distribute it to all of our partners and through our platforms. But it was also this cultural work that I thought was so important and was such a big priority for for our founding team. You know, this idea of how do we reimagine a voter today? And I do think that more and more people consider it a critical part of their identity. Like, I actually remember one of our first big partnerships was Bumble when we launched. They pushed out to all 40 million of their users, like, are you a voter? Add this badge to your profile. And next to your name, there was a thing that said, I am a voter. And I was like, how cool would it be if we created a system where like people didn't want to date a (laughs) non-voter? And so, you know, it's just kind of some of that work of making this identity really sexy and also just so core to who you are as a person. I would love to hear how you stay inspired because I think it can seem hard and difficult, especially with the political landscape. You know, I felt like I was watching everyone on December 31st, like acting like January 1st would be different magically, like like COVID would go away or, you know, that on the inauguration day that suddenly everything would be better. And I would just love to know, like, how do you stay inspired? Where do you get refueled so that you can keep sending such an important message and doing such great work? Well, I, I'm so hopeful. Like I, I'm just an endlessly hopeful person and I do believe that we are improving and that we are, it's slow, but every day you see a little bit more progress. And so I, I think hope is such a big part of, of the work that we do. And for me, this team of women that I work with are so much smarter than me and so brilliant and so fun. And to, I think that's like the community is such an important part of of activism. And I think that's why I always encourage people, like you don't have to figure it out. Like you don't have to start a nonprofit just because you're interested in something like join a movement. You know, it's that Glennon Doyle saying of like help the helpers and, and you learn so much and you're, you're around people that share your interests and like the passion of these people is so infectious. And like, it's, so hopeful all the time. And my mentor is this amazing woman, Shannon Watts. Um, and she's just to me, like this coolest, smartest, most inspiring person in the world. And, you know, when you see someone like her take on the NRA for eight years to have that level of just like commitment and persistence and dedication is so inspiring, right? Like you, you think you're tired and then you look at someone who's going up against that every day for so long and you're just like, okay, like we just got to keep going. I really think it's, for me, like it's surrounding myself with women who I am just in awe of. When you approached launch, you clearly had great relationships and a network that you could lean on to really amplify this. 
How did you sort of know, okay, if I launch with this person, it'll mean that that person will sign on. Or if we get X partner, then the NBA will sign on. And then that means blah. Like normally I think that's like so much strategy work. And when you see launches executed in the way that you did, it's magical because you know that there was a lot of time and effort. And I would just love to hear how you did that so that for those listening, if they're launching a product or category, they can they can understand how to launch something in a, in a way that hits like a firestorm? You know, part of it was that the actual like official launch was super grassroots, right? It was like me and one of my co-founders, Tiffany Bensley, like we got all these pins. We flew to New York, you know, fashion was our home base. So we showed up in New York, we got a hotel room at the Greenwich. We texted every single person that we know. We were like, please on your way to shows, like come by, grab a bag of pins and like hand them out at the shows and probably had agreed to put them on his front row seats. And pe- you know, people just showed up in these magical ways. And I think one of the things I learned was people weren't being asked to show up. And they were so grateful when we reached out. I was so nervous. I was like, what if nobody cares? What if nobody wants to help? What if people are like, go away? <laughs> um, I think we all have those insecurities. And, and when we reached out and we asked people to help, the, almost every single person was like, of course, thank you for including me at whatever I can do here. But I think all of a sudden, these pins were popping up everywhere. And the next day we were, you know, on, um, I think Jeremy Scott wore it to that big Harper's event. And we were in like page six in the Hollywood Reporter of like, what is this thing? And that was meant to be intentional. Like we wanted to tease it in a way where nobody knew what this was. And then we rolled out all of the bigger campaigns right after it. I think from like the the high level strategy from for me and the whole team going into it, it was like, more is better. I think we have eight pro bono PR firms that work on this campaign. You know, it was just, how do we reach all of the different people where they are? You know, how do we find really interesting local partnerships? Who, what's the cool local coffee house in Ohio to, you know, what is the, how do we get Disney involved as a partner? And I think when you're not so focused on one, I mean, it depends on your business, right? Like sometimes you have to be focused on one very niche consumer. But for us, it was really just how do we divide and conquer as a team and empower other people. It wasn't, I, I mean, the magic of I'm a voter was that the success of I'm a voter is owned by everyone. Everyone showed up and like everyone did all the things and it, everyone is the reason that we were able to succeed and increase voter turnout because we just gave them the tools and they did all the work. I think those those like ambassadors for a brand are absolutely so important and critical and vital to the success of a brand. It's really how do you get people empowered to advocate for your brand um, and to go out there and feel a sense of ownership, to feel empowered that they can speak about it, that they are respected and appreciated for the work that they're doing. And I think that makes a huge difference no matter what product you have. I like it. I think it's getting your friends and ambassadors to drink the Kool-Aid and then they help you spread the word. Yes. And the product has to be good, as you know, of right? Course, it's like, of it's, course, and yes. it's like, if you can find that magic of, of those two things, it's amazing. So talk to me about the nonpartisan piece of this, which I'm really grateful for, because I think that especially with America being so divided politically, that in some ways this could bring people with completely opposite views together. It's one piece of something they can agree to, that voting is important. Yeah. 
you know, part of it was, I think we knew it at the beginning, it was very important to our partners, right? Like CAA and all of the major corporations that were getting involved in the beginning. We knew it was important to them. We knew it would be important to the talent. But most important, we knew that it was important from just like a top line message, which is like, all that matters is that you show up. And as long as our country accurately represents its electorate, which it can only do if people vote, then that is what our country wants. But the problem is if one party or one side or one interest is way overrepresented, then it, there isn't an accurate reflection. So we can only have like true representation if people showed up. And I think that was important. And the other thing, to be honest, was like, I just didn't feel like anyone needed another campaign that was preaching to them and telling them what to do and telling them what to think because it's so off-putting, I think, to a lot of people, right? It's like, don't tell me what to think. Don't tell me what to believe. Give me the information and let me make an informed decision. And I think the more we empower people with information so they can have the information to make their own decisions, I think we will continue to see so much growth as a country. But it's just getting people that information in a way that see, you know, that is, you know, fact-based, authentic, and nonpartisan. Yeah. So turning back on to you personally before we wrap, what has been some of your biggest challenges and how did you overcome it or what did you learn from that challenge? I think my biggest challenges in my career have have really been myself. You know, it I never doubted my ability to succeed or to figure something out in some ways, I get a very hard time really being myself. You know, I had a very hard time being vulnerable, which like I now know to be the most important part of success. You know, I think, you know, I kind of just got thrown into so many different fields and careers and I don't know. I I think it took me a very long time to be very honest about who I was and what I wanted and to know that that was okay. And what was sort of the guideposts along the way that you knew it was okay? The world didn't fall apart. You know what I mean? And people still loved me. And it wasn't like, you know, you have these like dramatic things. And I I do think this is like the weird part that kind of goes back to my upbringing. But I think so much of the assimilation process was kind of emulating what other people were doing so I could fit in. Mm-hmm. And then being this perfect daughter and being this perfect immigrant, being this perfect citizen. And I tried so hard to do those things that when I had things I really wanted to do, or when I was in situations where I was really unhappy, I was like, well, it's okay. I should stay in this situation because this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And not really being honest about what I wanted. I honest, like, I think the biggest mistakes I've ever made were failing not fast enough. Like we're all going to fail. It's just like, how quickly do you accept it and move on? Do you realize like this relationship sucks? I'm over it. I'm going to go past it. Uh, This job is not for me. I'm going to leave. You know, this campaign that I'm working on isn't tracking. How do I change it? And so how do I pivot? How do I evolve? How do I beat this up again? You know, it was, I think I didn't, honor, like knowing things in my life weren't working because I didn't feel like how I felt about it was enough. I felt like I, I, the more important focus was like, no, this is what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Yep. So now when you, when you're in a situation like that, are you, are you quick to be like, nope? Yes. I'm out. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that, you know, and like, it's not just work, right? It's like people, it's like how much, how often do you really sit with someone and say like, I don't feel good when I'm with this person and recognize that that's not where you should be. And maybe that relationship isn't working anymore. Yeah. I think it's really important to underline what you said because so many people surround themselves with people because they feel they have to, or it'd be rude if you're already, you know, two years in with someone to end a friendship. But of course, the emotional toll that people who are sucking you dry can take is not to be underestimated. And and you, we build these narratives in our heads, right? Like, oh my God, we have to go to this thing and support this person. And I have to be nice to this person. So they're nice to me and they can support. It's like, we build all of these narratives for like why we have to be in these situations that we sometimes know we don't want to be in. And I think the sooner we actually acknowledge how we actually feel, the quicker we can get to where we are really happy. You know, when I sit in the room with these 25 women, I cannot explain to you, I'm like jumping out of my chair. I'm so happy. I like feel like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be with the people I'm supposed to be with. I'm so inspired by them. And that has been one of the biggest rewards of this whole process for me. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being vulnerable. And thank you for the work you do. More people out. (laughs) More people out to vote. Thank you. Like, I really don't know how to say this enough, but thank you for your support of the campaign. Thank you for being so early um, and showing up. It really means so much to us. Of course. You know, you were the first organization that I was like, I guess I could get excited and passionate about voting. Fine. Fine, I'll vote. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, we are all better for it. Uh, so quickly, where can people support the organization, et cetera? Uh, just go to I'm a Voter on Instagram and follow us and you'll get you know all the critical information that you need. And most important, text the word voter to 26797. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I hope to see you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. And don't forget to head over to RebeccaMinkoff.com. Show your love and support for the brand. Buy something for yourself. Buy something for another. And also don't forget to try my new fragrance. Again, it is available at all Nordstrom, Macy's, Scentbirds, and Birchboxes, as well as our site.